I find myself again and again coming back to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And then it says this, And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day drawing near. When you study that passage, the only thing that you can conclude is the day is talking about the day that the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ were looking for, the day that he would establish his reign on the earth. Look at Matthew chapter 24. See how Jesus responded. So we are looking for the day approaching, and we must say that the convergence of global events is pointing to the day being not too distant. Without setting dates, we see that we're in a season, a season that points dramatically to the return of Jesus Christ. And so each week, we take several different things that are playing out in the news, and we tie those together with what the Bible predicts. So how are we able to do this with any degree of confidence that we know what the Word of God has to say? That's a good question. Just a week or two ago, a good friend of ours was telling me that a preacher that she enjoyed, has the preacher that administered to her, was going to be covering the book of Revelation. And she was excited. She was excited that he would be opening up this text and teaching it, and she was looking forward to, to listening to the message that she would download in our podcast. I mentioned to her, though, that I was somewhat aware of where this pastor was coming from, and I said, I think there's a good chance that he's going to take an approach that is not futuristic. In other words, he does not embrace that Revelation chapter 4 and beyond is about future events, but that he'll take a totally different approach to the book of Revelation. Well, she thanked me for the input. She started to listen to the messages, and she was absolutely taken back. Now, this is a person who is dedicated to the Word of God, has studied it, has listened to a lot of outstanding preaching over the years, and she just could not understand where this pastor was coming from. Well, there is a segment of biblical Christianity, and they are believers. They understand the gospel. They are committed to the Word of God, but they have taken a different approach to interpreting Bible prophecy anything in the scriptures that appears to be symbolic, they will pour meaning into it. We take what we would say is a literal approach to interpreting scripture. By literal, we mean that we are looking for the normal sense of a given word, that a person of average intelligence is able to read what is said and able to understand it. Now, the literal approach to interpreting scripture allows for symbolism. It allows for a secondary meaning. It allows for, in some cases, allegorical interpretation. Now, we would suggest that it is critical that whenever we approach a passage, that if we can take the normal meaning of a given term, that's exactly what we want to embrace. We are looking for simple communication. Unless something is clearly symbolic, we would not take an allegorical approach. 
because the allegorical approach essentially allows anyone to pour meaning into a given passage. This is dangerous. We want to take the Word of God. We begin with the assumption that God wants to communicate to us. He does use symbolism. There are places where there is allegory. But the vast majority of the Word of God is very straightforward. And when we deviate from that and allow ourselves to pour meaning into a passage, how can we be Bereans and be a check on one another unless we take the literal approach? The allegorical approach is filled with all kinds of danger, especially when there are gifted communicators who can take a passage and essentially have it say whatever they want it to say. Now, we have shared uh, an important admonition on this broadcast that goes this way. When the literal sense, we're talking about the interpretation of Scripture, when the literal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. Let me say that again. This is important. When the literal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. And so when we approach Scripture, we realize that there are times when, obviously, a given passage is being used in a symbolic or figurative way. For example, John chapter 10, Jesus referred to himself as the door. Did he mean literally that he was a door? No! but he is a place of entrance. He called himself the bread of life. Is he a loaf of bread? The answer is no, but he is the spiritual sustenance of those that to come to faith in him. Now, in terms of comparing the literal with the allegorical, there is an interesting passage in Galatians chapter 4, and it begins with verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. And so what we are seeing here is we're seeing the history of Abraham with Sarah and Hagar. And then it says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So it's talking about that the godly seed, God's plan to fulfill his promises to Israel, would be through Sarah, not Hagar. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. And then in Galatians 4.24 it says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. In other words, there's more meaning here behind what happened when Abraham took Hagar because Sarah was along in years. God, of course, wasn't pleased with that and eventually blessed Sarah despite her age. And then it says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. We shouldn't miss the implications of what are said here because it actually says this, this may be interpreted symbolically or allegorically. It doesn't mean that all passages should be treated that way. It builds a strong case for literal interpretation. And what is interesting about the Sarah and Hagar comparison, as we look for that secondary meaning, it's really given in the text. It tells us that one represents the covenant of law, Hagar, and the other the covenant of grace, and that's Sarah. So we can actually look at this passage and see that an allegorical approach is one that is not the norm. So what do we do when we turn to the book of Revelation, especially chapters 4 through the end? Do we approach all of that symbolically? Well, we still apply this basic principle. We look for the literal sense, 
makes good sense, we're not going to look elsewhere. We're going to accept it at face value if we possibly can. If we don't, it can result in nonsense. It's us saying this is what God says and not being correct. We want to be accurate in representing God's truth. The way that we deal with this is we have to have Scripture interpreting Scripture. The only way to really understand the literal meaning behind so much of the book of Revelation is to see what the Old Testament says, because the Old Testament begins to open up the literal meaning behind the symbolism found in the book of Revelation. If we do not take that approach, we open ourselves up to nonsense, confusion, not to mention manipulation. A good example of this is how the Jehovah's Witnesses approach Revelation chapter 7. Now, if you've read Revelation chapter 7, you know it talks about 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are sealed. They're protected by God, and they're going to minister the gospel during the end times, during the tribulation period. And it says they come from the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's as clear as can be. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses come to this passage, and they're going to approach that symbolically. It's not really talking about Jews. It's talking really about faithful Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what they have sold to their people. And that they actually at some point were keeping a list of Jehovah's Witnesses that had attained to the 144,000 who are considered a unique group, again, them pouring meaning into this, a unique group that would rule with Jesus from heaven, while all other Jehovah's Witnesses who have been faithful will reign on the earth. Now, I suspect some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I'm not sure, how in the world do I check the teaching of someone that's beginning to take an allegorical approach? Good question. I'm not saying that's easy to do because essentially a person can just run with the text and make it say whatever he or she wants. What I would encourage you to do is to look at those teachers who take a consistent literal approach to the Word of God and to biblical eschatology, end times teaching, and look at what they say. Those who take a literal approach to understanding eschatology, recognizing symbolic language, figurative language, they still are very much on the same page when it comes to end-time events. They may debate the timing of certain events and exactly how they'll play out, but they will have a consistent interpretation of Scripture that you can read, and they will all say the 144,000 Jewish evangelists are 144,000 Jewish evangelists. The two prophets of God are the two prophets of God. In other words, when they see something that can be taken literally in the book of Revelation, they accept it at face value. And those things that are that need to be interpreted because they're symbolic and figurative, they will use the Old Testament to understand exactly what John was talking about when he penned the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. And that's why you can go down a list of, of Bible teachers who are in agreement 
whether it be David Jeremiah, Chuck Swindoll, go down the list, a number of teachers that you hear on this particular radio station. They agree. Why? They agree because they are taking a consistent approach, a literal hermeneutic, a literal approach to understanding what the Word of God has to say. 